When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 437 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing the food waste problem. Now, before we get into it, I would love it if you thought about your kitchen, and I would love it if specifically you think about how much edible food you throw out every week. So this could be the food that's left over on your child's plate. Your child's full, so we throw out that little bit here, that little bit there. This is also the food that nobody wants. You didn't get to eat it in time. Edible food, not banana peels, edible food. If you had to measure how much food you think your household throws out every week in cups, How many cups would that be? Take a minute, get your answer, and then let me tell you that the latest research into food waste finds that the average United States household throws out 6.2 cups of edible food every single week. 6.2 cups. Now, food waste is a problem, not only because when we throw out edible food, we're also essentially throwing our hard-earned money out the window. Food's expensive, and we pay for that expensive food with our money, with our time going to work. It's also a problem because food, when it breaks down, releases methane. Methane is a potent, powerful greenhouse gas more powerful than carbon dioxide. And so, yes, while many of us are composting, and composting is certainly better than throwing food in the trash, my guest today makes a great point that composting should not be the answer. The answer should be eating the food that we have in our homes. Today, I'm speaking with Rachel Jackson. Rachel is a writer who focuses on food waste over at eatortoss.com. And today, we're doing two things. In the first part of today's show, we're outlining the unconventional ways, and I say that with love, Rachel, unconventional ways in which Rachel is fighting back against not just food waste, but also societal norms about food and asking to take some home. That's part one. And then in part two, I'm asking some questions from my own kitchen. So is that soft strawberry good to eat? Or what about that brown avocado? So I'm taking some common food questions and asking, is this edible? What should I do with it? That's part two. Rachel, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. You have a website. All about food waste, eatertoss.com. And I need to know right off the bat, like food waste is an interesting topic to 
find yourself passionate about. It's an interesting topic to go all in and create a website about. So how did you get here? I have always just really struggled with waste and wanting to see everything reach its full use and full potential and also have always just loved food. And the way that I, I got to eat or toss was more than 10 years ago, I started subscribing to a farm share. So getting a box of vegetables every week from a farmer. And I was finding that some of the things in there looked not quite right. And I wasn't sure if it was because they were just things I wasn't used to seeing or if because maybe there was something going on that meant that I didn't want to eat the food. And I found that uncertainty to be really uncomfortable because I didn't want to waste food, but I also did not want to get sick. And so I expected I could just go online and find the answers to these questions. And then I found that I couldn't. And then there wasn't a central resource that could say if you had a uh, you know, an apple that had something you weren't expecting on the inside that could tell you if that was good or not, or certain kinds of tomato spots, whether or not they were a problem or not. So I really wanted something like that to exist. And as a journalist, I was very comfortable looking up experts, reaching out to them and saying, hey, can we talk about what's going on here? So I just started picking up the phone, calling scientists, interviewing them to really understand my food and why sometimes it looked funny and when that meant it was a problem and when that meant it wasn't. And that's how I got to eat or toss. As you're talking there, I'm thinking what a time it is to be alive in which not all of us, of course, not you, <laughs> but we've just spent $4 on an organic avocado that flew on a plane from somewhere south of the equator. It's in our kitchen. We cut it open and there's a brown spot or a, I would say a gray spot, a big gray spot. Maybe some of us cut around it, but how many of us just throw the whole thing, $4 worth, in the trash? Like what a time to be alive. The, our ancestors, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, they would never toss a decent piece of food. And here we are, 2024, waste is rampant. The food waste is rampant. And so for many of us who have these disposable incomes and by consequence, an awful lot of waste, tell us some facts about food waste that may shock us that we don't know about. Tell us. In the U.S., it's about a third, more than a third of food that goes to waste, which is a huge chunk of our food. There's more food waste happening at the consumer level than anywhere else, according to Refed, which is a nonprofit that puts out a lot of great data on food waste. And within that consumer side of things, households have the biggest share. A lot of it is coming from some of the decisions that we're making. There are certainly systems that surround us that influence those decisions that cause us to waste more, but a lot of it does happen at the consumer level. What I find inspiring about food waste and working on food waste is that it is one of the top things that we as individuals can do to reduce our impact on climate change. There's a group called Project Drawdown that ranked actions by the most impactful in terms of reducing our impact on climate change and reducing food waste was at the top of the list of one of their scenarios, which is amazing. Because if you think about it, like we can't, I can't spend my lunch break installing a solar panel on my house, but I can make decisions that limit my food waste. And when there's so much food waste and when so much of our food waste is coming from households, we all actually have a lot of power on this issue, which I think is pretty amazing when we're feeling super overwhelmed about climate change and everything that's going on with it. Yes. I love that you make that point because climate change 
and our climate problems in general, they can seem like this big, elusive, insurmountable issue that we have no control over. But I love how you're bringing the problem back down to earth, essentially into our own homes. Like we actually can do something about that gigantic problem by tackling a smaller one, which of course is the amount of food waste that our homes are creating. So let's go back to that brown avocado for a minute. My daughters do not like to eat avocados that are not a gorgeous hue of green. Personally, they're so annoying in that regard. But let's say I just took this avocado and composted it, the whole thing. Would you consider composting this avocado? Would you can still consider that food waste or no? I still think it's a, a considerable loss because there's all the resources that went into growing that avocado, getting it to you, your energy and your resources and buying it and bringing it back to your home, there's still a lot that we're missing out on. Depending on who's gathering the data and what they're looking for, they might count it in different ways. But EPA has, they recently updated it. I think now it's called the scale of wasted food, but they rank solutions to food waste in terms of effectiveness. And the number one thing they want people to do is prevent it in the first place. If you compost it, you cut out going to the landfill. So then the food's not trapped in a landfill and emitting methane at a rate much higher than it would otherwise. So at least you're capturing it there. And that's wonderful. And composting is great. What I wish we could see is a little more focus on prevention so that we don't need to compost as much. I compost at home and my goal every week is to fill up my compost bin as little as possible because I don't want to have a lot of food that I need to compost. Yeah. What I hear you saying is composting is better than throwing that avocado in the trash to be picked up and sent to the landfill, certainly. But if we took a expanded view of the problem, the water that went into growing that avocado, avocados are extremely water-intensive crop-wise, that water's gone. The carbon dioxide that was emitted into the air as that avocado traveled thousands of miles to get to my supermarket, those planet-warming gases are in the atmosphere already. And so maybe we need to just expand our view. Our, our lens uh, is what I hear you saying. But so I came across an article you wrote for the Washington Post about the ways in which you are seeking to prevent food waste in your realm, not just in your home, but as you go about your days. And some of them, Rachel, I say this with love, some of them are going to sound a little bit extreme. And so I want to go to the one that really just shocked me. I, my melt fell open. We're going to go to it first. Okay. You ready? <laughs> yeah, Listeners, buckle up. <laughs> Rachel, you wrote that when you're at a wedding, you pack up your leftovers. Tell me about this. Walk me through a wedding you went to where you packed up your leftovers. Did you bring your own container? What did people say to you? What did you bring home? I need all the details because holy moly, I don't know what I would do if I saw somebody packing up leftovers at a wedding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it it sounds a little bit crazy. And that's part of why I like to do it. It's a good conversation starter. And to be totally clear, I'm not marching up to the wedding buffet with a container the second it opens and saying, oh, like it's dinner for Rachel tomorrow. No, it's, it's not like that at all. What I, I do this, yeah, just in my life, I always have a container with me because often there's extra food and often it doesn't have a, a home and I don't want to see it go in the garbage. So for me, weddings are no different. And you know, and it depends on the context, but one I'm thinking of 
was one I went to that where they had some delicious hors d'oeuvres. I was pretty full by the time the plated meal came. And so they gave me my plated meal. I wasn't as hungry as I wanted to be, but it was all right in front of me. In that case, I actually don't remember if I had a container with me. I, I think I probably did. Or I may have asked for one. Occasionally I'll ask. And if it's a if it's a restaurant or hotel, they usually have one. And they brought it. And some people at my table were like, I didn't realize you could do that. And that's it. I usually get more curiosity. And also people don't often notice. There's actually a lot of chaos at a wedding. And so it's not, I don't think it got a lot of attention from people. Sometimes at a, I, I went to one very casual wedding uh, that was at a restaurant where they actually put containers out at the buffet at the end and invited people to pack up their leftovers, which I thought was really amazing. I love that move when a venue will give people that social nudge saying, hey, we have extra food and it's okay for you to take some of this home with you. Other kind of similar events I've been to that have maybe been a little bit more formal and had a buffet, what I'll usually do is when the party's obviously winding down, I'll scope out maybe who's organizing it and say like, do you have a plan for this food? Usually they don't. Sometimes they're able to donate food they haven't served yet, which I think is awesome and should be the first step for any of that food. But food that's already been served, odds are pretty low it's going to be donated. And often they'll say, no, and if you want some, please take it. And they're thrilled that somebody's going to take that food that they worked hard on, that they spent money on to give it a home. The other thing I think about with weddings is this idea that it's impolite to take food home is why? <laughs> why is that impolite? The alternative is it's going to go in the garbage and produce all that methane and all those resources went to waste. And this food that's already on my plate, the only place it's possibly going to go is the garbage, unless somehow this is a wedding that's composting. And we just talked about how ideally we're eating the food and not composting it. I just want that to stop being impolite. <laughs> or or I, would, I would like that stigma to go away. And, and in truth, that people don't respond in a way that makes me feel judged. It's more of a Oh, I guess that does make sense. Another area where I do a lot this a lot is like parties with the pizza. If you especially if you have kids, you go to a lot of parties with pizza. And if somebody if the party is wrapping up and there's a stack of five pizzas in the room, often the host has no idea what they're going to do with them. They're staring at those pizzas like, "Oh my god, I don't want to throw these away." But what else am I going to do with them? And in those scenarios, I'll say like, "Do you need help with that pizza?" And they'll say, "Yes, please take one." So I, I occasionally will take home an entire pizza, which is great. We just put it in our freezer and then on nights when we need a really fast dinner, it's there for us. And sometimes I'll even be a pizza ambassador if there's so much pizza that has no home. And I will approach people at whatever event I'm at and say, do you guys want to take home some pizza? Because there's a lot of extra pizza. And once people are given permission, then they do. They're like, you know what? Yeah, I could use it. And sometimes people will still be like, oh no, I, I don't need it. And they'll say, it's going to be thrown away anyway. You'd actually be doing a good thing if you could take this pizza home and use it. And it might save time on a busy night next week. And then sometimes people say, you know what? Yeah, I think I could find a use for that pizza. Yeah. You make a lot of really important and great points there, Rachel. The first one being that you're not going up to the appetizer or d'oeuvres table with your container and just filling it up to enjoy later. It's your own food, your own dinner, your own entree that you're not going to eat because you're full and you want to save it for later. We do that at restaurants. And so why are we not doing that at weddings? There's something about the wedding that culturally, societally, we don't do that. But why? Like This show is about intentionality and 
questioning these long-held norms that frankly aren't serving us or, or serving the planet. So I love that you do that. And I love that people aren't giving you the side eye when you do it. That makes me feel hopeful for humanity. Weddings, especially, they are gluttonous affairs, way more food than necessary all the time. And related to way more food all the time, the next event that comes to my mind, of course, are holiday celebrations. So we're inviting the family over for, I don't know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. Holidays, at least in my family, are notorious for a lot of rich food that people tend to want to eat once and then they don't want to bring it home because it's fattening or nobody is going to eat it at home or this or that. There's always a reason why nobody wants to take the food home. What do you do at holiday celebrations and other events where you go to somebody else's home? It's kind of the same thing. Like I will just check in. If we're leaving and the party's only halfway done, I'm not going to say anything because who knows how much they might have left later. But if we're leaving and it's obvious that the party is winding down, then I will check in with the host and say, would it help if we check some? And it is maybe a little bit easier for me with my friends because they know what I do and they're not surprised by this question. And sometimes they'll proactively just fill my arms with things um, because they know I'm someone who will just take the food that they're not sure they're going to eat or that they don't want to put back in the fridge. But just like, you know, with the other events, people are usually really grateful for someone to, to eat what they prepared and to take some of it home. Uh, one thing I did want to mention that I do keep food safety in mind too. That's obviously also very important to me. If it's any kind of highly perishable food that's been out for a while or particularly at a wedding, I'm not going to let my salmon and mashed potatoes sit on the table for six hours and then take it home. I am careful on that side of it too. Um, so it's you know just a lot of kind of calculated decisions about when it's worth it and when it's not. Well, to that point, in the WAPO article, you did write that you often borrow space in other people's or other places' refrigerators and freezers, precisely for the food safety reason. I want to talk about what that looks like and how you do it. Do you ask to borrow the restaurant's refrigerator for an hour? I want to, I'm going to get to ask you all of those questions, but we're going to take our break. So get ready for it after our quick sponsor break. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow... 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Rachel Jackson. She is the founding editor over at eatortoss.com. It is a website that focuses on food waste. Rachel, we're at that point in the conversation where I want to know about borrowing space in other people's and places, refrigerators and freezers. This to me sounds genius, but how do you do it? I just ask. And I think about, is this a place that might have a fridge? And if so, is it a place that might have space in their fridge for what I have? I usually am not going to ask at a busy restaurant because I I don't want to impose on their space. I'm sure everything is like highly calibrated. But once I had a doctor's appointment after lunch with a friend and I had leftovers and, and I just asked if I could put my leftovers in their break room fridge and they were like, okay, sure. And they did. Another time that worked out really well when my husband and I were traveling and we were eating at the restaurant in our hotel and they had this, they made this delicious, I think it was like a lentil shepherd's pie. I remember it that well because it was so good. But we were leaving the next day and going on to our next hotel and it was a, a bed and breakfast that wasn't terribly busy during that season. And I said, would you mind putting this in your freezer? And they didn't. This is one of my tricks. I will freeze food if I know it's going to be in transit for a while. So they froze that. And then we brought it to our next hotel that we were staying at before we went to the airport the next day. And that hotel nicely also took care of my shepherd's pie. And we had an early morning flight when there was no food available for breakfast anywhere, but the hotel was really nice and just warmed up this food. And so I had this really hearty breakfast before a ton of traveling. Whereas if we hadn't done this, I probably would have had a granola bar or something like that. So we kept that food out of the trash. It wasn't a lot of effort and it was just a matter of asking. I hear a common refrain from you, which is you're just asking. (laughs) Like You're just asking if people are looking to give away their food. You're just asking if you can put something in a fridge for an hour or two. With these questions and more when it comes to packing up, taking food, refrigerating, freezing food, has anybody ever said no? Not that I can remember. And if they have... It has probably been because of capacity and nothing else. No one's ever been like, that's too weird. Why are you bothering me? More it's been like, oh, we just don't have a fridge available right now. If it's even been that, because I'm really struggling to think of a time. I think probably more often I'm not asking because I see it's a situation where it's unlikely that anybody's in a position to provide that help. So yeah, I think it's maybe a little disarming for people because they're like, oh, wait, I could do that. That's not a big deal. And that that's one of the reasons I think this is so fun because it does help start conversations and maybe shift perspectives on what's normal and what's not. 
Yeah. Who made up the rules on <laughs> what's normal with regard to leftover food? Who made those rules? Because they're not working for our wallets. I don't want to throw money in the trash. They're not working for the planet. And so, yeah, just ask. Have you ever, like, I'm just thinking about how I could take some of your suggestions and incorporate them into my own life. Have you ever, I don't know if you get around by car or by foot, but by car, do you ever drive around with a cooler and an ice pack in your car to maybe hold stuff sometimes? Or if you're a pedestrian, do you ever, you know, keep a little insulated bag <laughs> in your purse? Just thinking about this opens up a lot of opportunities, I think. I don't do that because usually I'm able to get the food into a place where I feel good about it fast enough, or it's just a scenario where I can't imagine it's just not possible. Um, so, so I'm not going to be able to take the food. More so is I think just seeing scenarios where food is likely to go to waste and speaking up in as cautious and low pressure of a way as possible. If I'm going somewhere where I know there's going to be food served and there might be extras, I usually do have a container in my bag. And But that's it. It's really just a container. <laughs> if, if I'm expecting a lot of leftovers, it's maybe two. Awesome. I know your website is mostly focused on the food safety issues associated with <laughs> food. Again, most people don't want to get sick by eating bad food. So I want to just, before we say goodbye, I just want to run by some common scenarios that happen often in my kitchen. And you tell me, is it okay to eat <laughs> or not? Mm -hmm. Are you on board? Okay. I will. I'll do my best. Okay. All right. We got to start with the brown avocado. Yeah. For me, that's a taste and decide or smell and decide kind of situation because there are so many reasons why an avocado might have some kind of browning or discoloration on the inside. And sometimes you just open up the avocado and you're like, whoa, I want nothing to do with that. And sometimes maybe it smells a little funny. Sometimes like you taste it and you're like, mm, that doesn't taste quite right. So usually if I'm seeing just a little bit of brown. If it's isolated, I'll cut that area off. If it's those little dots or lines that you sometimes see, that's called vascular browning. And those are actually the little like transport channels within the avocado that you're seeing turning brown. That doesn't bother me as much. That can happen if an avocado gets too cold. So sometimes when you see that, I'll just try it. And if it still tastes fine, I go with it. I'm actually about to post some more avocado posts. So if, if you go to Eat or Toss and you navigate to the avocado page, you get an entire library of weird looking avocados that you can size up. I think, I don't think I have a gray one on there yet. That's, I'm working on a gray avocado post, but gray is interesting too, because if you just see some gray around the pit, that's only because it's been too cold. That's totally fine. Okay. Cause I do see the little dots often. My kitchen is like 59 degrees in the winter and that's not an exaggeration. So maybe my avocado is just a little chilly. I can still eat it. And chances are good that it was too cold before it got to you too. A lot of fruits that come from tropical or semi-tropical areas don't do well at refrigeration temperatures, but can be stored about 10 degrees above refrigeration temperatures. So if somebody in the supply chain stuck it in the fridge, or stuck it in a, a too cold space, then that can show up on the consumer end as graying and, and things like that. All right. Next questionable food item. And that is 
you buy a clamshell worth of berries. Let's use raspberries for an, for example. Maybe it's even off season. And so the berries really came from far away. You open up the clamshell and there's a couple soft, squishy, wet berries. What would you do with that? That took a turn. I thought you were going to say one moldy berry because that's the classic one. If they're soft and squishy and they're they're leaking, I'm not that interested in eating them. Those I, I will usually compost and the rest of them I will rinse. If they're oozing anything or if they're broken, once the skin breaks, if there's some bacteria around, it's going to have fun because then there's a lot more nutrients and water available for it. If they're simply getting softer, then I'm much less worried and then I'm just going to eat them quickly. This is also a plug for eating what's in season for your location too, isn't it? <laughs> you have so much more time to eat these fresh produce items if they're not traveling very far. They're going to taste better if they're in season. Yeah, you'll have more time to eat it. But you so you mentioned the moldy berry. So you have a clamshell worth of the strawberries come to mind for this one and you did your due diligence when you were in the supermarket you checked but then way at the bottom there's that one super disgusting moldy strawberry what do you do yeah you are fine to take out the moldy berry and eat the rest the same with if you've got any oozing berries take out the oozing berries rinse everybody else off and eat them and and they're still okay the one thing once you find that moldy berry the odds of there being more spores hanging out and getting ready to grow mold on the rest of the berries are definitely much higher. So if you found a moldy berry, then take it out. The others look fine. Go ahead and eat them. Just eat them fast because their lifespan is probably shorter than it might have otherwise been. Hmm. What about, this is something that happened in my lunch today before I came to talk with you, lettuce that is, is particularly spinach, not just wilted, but wet? What do I do with that? So if it's wet, I don't want it. If, if it's wet and it's starting to like actually like leak, in terms of science, I think it's pretty cool. The cells are just falling apart, which is what they're programmed to do. And so they're leaking things. And once the cells in the produce start to like bust open and that water and nutrients is more available to any bacteria that might be around, bacteria is going to grow more easily in your food. The bacteria that usually spoils something like lettuce is not going to make us sick. It's probably just going to make it taste bad. But it is creating an environment where if there does happen to be something that could make us sick present, it could grow more easily and it could reach greater numbers faster. So if your spinach is like oozing anything or just turning into that green slime, then I wouldn't eat it. That said, something that I will do is, like you said, particularly with spinach, when it's starting to get just a little bit wilty. And maybe maybe you're seeing some creases, which can happen. And you're like, okay, I don't have a lot of time left on this spinach. What I will usually do is put it in the microwave with a little bit of water, cover it. So I'm basically just steaming it in the microwave. It takes five minutes. And then I have steamed spinach. It's nothing fancy, but it will last much longer like that. I can freeze it like that super easily. The volume of it is much less. It's a really easy side dish. It's not much as a side dish, but it's an easy thing to just throw on the dinner table and to make part of your dinner that night. And that using that trick of just microwaving spinach has saved us so much waste. I love that. I'm going to try that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I got two more quick ones for you. Next is, I think I know what you're going to say about this one, but sprouted potatoes, not just like a little nub. I'm talking trees growing off of our potatoes. Take it away. 
Yeah. So sprouts, specifically on potatoes, those can contain a toxin that you don't want to eat. Once a potato starts sprouting, you don't want to eat the sprouts. But usually the toxin is mostly in the sprout. So you can cut off the sprout and you can use the rest of the potato. That said, if you've got a tree coming out of your potato, then the potato itself is going to be pretty terrible. Because if you think about it, what's happening is the sprout is thinking, let's make more potatoes. And so it's pulling all the good stuff out of the potato, like the nutrients and and water to fuel the sprout because that's now its priority. So if you have a really sprouted potato, you'll probably notice that the potato itself is getting a little wrinkly or just looking sad. So it just won't taste very good. So ideally you're catching this ahead of time. If you're seeing sizable sprouts, then you can cut them off and eat the potato and you should be fine. And this toxin it's nothing that sickens people on any kind of regular basis. It's just something to be a little careful about. There's a scientist I talk to usually about once a year at the University of Idaho who studies potatoes. And the way that she describes it is you wouldn't want to eat a salad of those sprouts. But it's, it's nothing, it's something to be like super afraid of. It's just a best practice to cut them off and keep going. And, and she said if it's a tiny sprout, she doesn't worry about it herself. So. All right. That's not, I'll be honest. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I didn't know that. Oh, what did you think? <laughs> I just thought, I didn't know the, I didn't know the toxin problem. I just assumed you take the sprout off and continue on as normal. But now I'm wondering whether when I get the sprouted trees, what is that doing to the quality, the taste of my food if the potato is not tasting that great? So I got to think about that in my own life. And the quality of the food is a good enough reason to eat that potato sooner, I think. Nobody wants to eat mashed potatoes or a baked potato that really just has no flavor. Yeah, and I'll actually add one thing with that. Sweet potatoes are totally different. They're an entirely different plant. Potatoes are related to like eggplants and tomatoes. And you can eat sweet potato sprouts if you want. And like you could literally just cut them off and try them. And there are some parts of the world where sweet potato greens are something that people eat a lot of. And so the same thing will happen if you have a sweet potato that has a really large sprout, it will start to pull all the good stuff out of the sweet potato. But if you're catching a sweet potato with just a little early sprout, then it's fine. Okay, good to know. All right, the last one is the apple with, not the brown spots, because I think I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can just cut around a brown spot. The apple with, when you cut it open, there's all this like white, almost fuzz in the core. What is that? And what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked about that because I, I just put something up on that last month and I've been wanting to write about it forever. That's fine. Anytime something looks like that, it, it obviously looks a little bit like mold, right? And that's maybe what you're thinking. That's what I wondered about for a long time. And you want to make sure it's not mold. If you see something, if you cut into your apple and you see something weird in the core, first make sure it's not mold. So how do you know? Um, mold's going to be very wispy. It's possible for there to be mold in the apple core without causing rot around it. But odds are reasonably good that you would see some kind of rot around that area, which would be like squishy brown apple flesh. Usually if you're seeing like tight, bright, white, little tufty things, that's something called callus tissue, which the scientist I worked with on that post described like stem cells. So it's like just the apple wasn't really sure what it, what it was going to do there. And it made these little white tufty things. And so they look strange. But as long as the rest of the apple looks good and looks crisp and healthy, it's fine. Okay, good to know. Yeah. It's not mold. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to like double check that we're talking about the same thing, this is why I like to have images on either toss. Like you can go, I think it's it's one of the more recent posts. If you go to the the food index, it's right up there. 
So, so I think I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess what you'd say. If, if you had to give listeners tips for reducing food waste, I think your first tip would probably be just ask, just ask for the refrigerator space, just ask if they need help distributing the food. If you had a second tip to give listeners who are interested in reducing food waste in their own spheres, in their own lives, what would you suggest? I think just being aware of it, which sounds really basic, but just noticing food waste. Once you start paying attention, you really see it everywhere. And it really, I know for me, makes me like more motivated to do something about it because as we've been talking about, it is such an accessible issue to act on. And and part of that is really noticing when you're throwing away food and using that as a chance to think, how can I do things differently next time so I don't need to throw away this food? And and I have plenty of these. I, I spend so much time thinking about food waste and I have my own list of examples like that that I'm working on. For me, it's granola bars. Like my family just does not eat granola bars as that much. And somehow we always have some. And so, I'm just, so this year I'm trying to reduce the number of granola bars that enter our house because they tend to go rancid before we get to them. And so that's something that that I'm aware of this year, but really just noticing it and being willing to act on it. And if I can actually sneak one more and one of my favorite tips on reducing your food waste is to not go to the store. You might think you don't have enough food for dinner, but if you say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to go to the store. I'm going to just see what's in the back of this cabinet and work with it. Usually I know in my house, we can usually find something and I think that's the case for most people. Given how much food we're throwing away in this country, there's got to be a lot of food hidden in the back. That stuff that's deep in the freezer, deep in your cabinets. And I find too, we usually have bananas for breakfast. And then there was one day recently when we didn't have any bananas. And I was like, oh yes, we have those apples that we sliced last night for dinner. You know what? We're gonna, we'll have those with our breakfast. And there's a chance those apples could have gotten shoved to the back of the fridge and we might've forgotten about them. But not having bananas reminded me that we had this other food. Hmm. I love it. Rachel, tell us where we can find more of you and your fascinating work. Give us all the details. I hope that if you have any questions about whether something's good to eat or not, you check out Eat or Toss. There's a lot of images that you can scroll through as we've obviously been talking about. Many of them come from readers. So if you're if you encounter something and you check and you don't see it there, send me a picture and I try to get back to people relatively quickly. I usually can't provide live help, but often those will turn into new posts. And I also have a newsletter that isn't too frequent. It's every other week and it just keeps Eater Toss on your radar and provides what I think are mini food science lessons that I find fun and I hope readers do too. Awesome. I'm going to sign up for your newsletter. I want to know more about whether I can eat this, that, or the other thing. It's going to save me money in the long run. I'm down. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I wish you so much success. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes. And by the way, let me just say, show notes has an awful lot in it this week. So you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 437. And we do have an eco tip today. This eco tip is relevant to today's conversation. It comes from another Rachel. So not the Rachel I interviewed. Listener Rachel wanted to recommend a set of ebooks to all of us. It's three ebooks. Rachel says they have substantially helped her reduce food waste by a quote, insane amount, end quote. That's that's as per Rachel. So yeah, you buy this food. Now, what do you do with it? How can you keep it? 
so that you have it for longer. Apparently, berries are not supposed to be kept in those clamshells. Did you know that? I did not. <laughs> so check out the ebooks in the show notes if you're interested in learning how to store your food like a boss. We'll be back on Thursday where we're discussing what kids really need. They don't need the latest fidget. What do they really need? That's Thursday's episode. I'll see you then and take care.